0: Hey there, it's Kristen Crockett, and you are listening to The Plastic Couch, a podcast to help you find clarity and confidence in your life. Most of us remember someone from back in the day with a couch they kept covered with plastic. It was meant to protect and preserve the couch for tomorrow, but the plastic was hot and uncomfortable, and it kept everyone from enjoying it. So what does the plastic represent for you in your life? Is it perfection, fear, or something else? And what are you preventing yourself from enjoying, or better yet, from being? I'm your host, Kristen Crockett, and I'm here to help you with the tools to get clarity on your path to you and to help you see what's on the other side of the plastic. So I wanna welcome you to this episode of the Plastic Couch Podcast. My guest today is Claudia Catarucci. I cannot wait for you all to hear this really juicy conversation. So our work has some similarities and you're gonna see more of that in this conversation for her as a therapist, and for me as an intuitive leadership coach, facilitator, and trainer for organizations. But you're going to definitely see how some of our philosophies and beliefs line up together. So Claudia and I are also co-authors of a multi-author book that's coming out in April. The book is called The Humanity and Diversity. So of course, you know, I'm going to be announcing more information about that. Let's jump right into this incredible conversation with Claudia Cattarucci. Claudia, welcome to the Plastic Couch podcast. Thank you. I love it. (laughs) All right. So we're going to get started. And what I would love, like Claudia, just, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Tell our listeners who you are.
1: Sure. I'm Claudia Cattarucci, and basically I am most known here in Washington, D.C. for being psychotherapist for the last 24 years. Um, And I work with groups and individuals. I used to work with couples, but not as much anymore. And um, my folks are colorful people and LGBTQIA people and folks who are just healing and self-exploring and self-reflecting and really, really, really committed to their inner work. Like that's who I work with best.
0: So committed to their inner work. So tell us a little bit about how you define that. Like, what are the signs? Like, how do you know somebody is committed to their inner work?
1: I think you can see them immediately. There's, there's all sorts of kinesthetic ways, which you and I love being intuitives is people who immediately want to ask themselves questions. Yes even when they know it's uncomfortable. People who organically for years, probably since they were children, have been asking themselves questions about the dynamics that are around them, about their parents, about their family, about race, about why that family does it that way. Just people who ask internal questions And people who like to go inside. So maybe as a child, you might have been someone who wanted to be in their room after playing with friends and writing things or writing down the songs they knew or um, really observing how people related to each other. Um, A natural tendency to observe. And so this, this idea that That The other thing is, if you don't know that you might be this person, notice what lights you up. And usually, it's those programs on TV that are talking about relationships and dynamics and make you think. They sort of tickle your brain a little bit and your soul a little bit
0: most of your listeners are probably those folks who are following their soul. Absolutely. And it's, and it's like, it's also the empaths, right? So the people that have, they deeply feel and understand things without even like when you walk into the room, you can kind of feel and sense what's going on. If someone has a problem with somebody, you can see it, you can feel it. And it's, it's really like, you want to understand more about a relationship, just like, you know, when you talked about TV shows, there are plenty of people who watch, you know, my 600 pound life or hoarders or different shows like that, where it's really, it's not just about the thing. It's like, why is this? Why? How did this come about? Beautiful. Yeah. I, for sure. For sure. And I'm glad you mentioned empaths
1: because you know, more than anyone else that that's, that's really, really, really one of my Areas of expertise is working with the empath, the the empath who's not healed, but a lot the empath who is high functioning, knowing themselves, um, really identifying with their new way of being as an empath in the world. Yeah.
0: So Claudia, so you definitely are a very unique therapist in terms of, um, you know, how you really approach situations. And so I want you to just talk a little bit about how therapy evolved into dynamic meditation with some clients or how dynamic meditation evolved into therapy, like which came first?
1: Sure, sure. What a good question. And just for all your folks who don't know what dynamic meditation is, is dynamic meditation is a compilation that I put together of The things that I had learned, the meditations, the clinical techniques, the strategies for self-healing, literally for self-healing that I learned throughout the years. And I called it the best of the best for me. And I put them all together from different teachers, different therapists, different just even philosophers, spiritual teachers. So it's an amalgam right? Dynamic meditation is an amalgam. And so I've been a spiritual seeker all my life and in the 2000s in particular, which I think is when the planet started really like just stretching its arms in terms of exploring new ways of exploring spirituality and exploring themselves um, itself. I just felt this calling, Kristen, over and over of putting this together because I was reading a ton. I was reading conversations with God. I was studying the Course in Miracles. I was in 12-step programs um, for myself. So I was doing meditation, Buddhist meditation, and contemplative Christianity meditation. So all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, this, this is for everyone. It doesn't matter what tradition you come from. So I put this together. And in 2009, I literally woke up from a dream. And the word dynamic, it was in big letters, the word dynamic. And dynamic means the way that I latched onto the word dynamic, which was given to me in a dream, is that I was trained psychodynamically or psychoanalytically, which is the study of the unconscious, the study of the energetic forces within us that are unconscious. And so part of my therapeutic approach is psychodynamic, which is to bring all of those unconscious forces, layers up into our conscious selves. right? So that's how I work psychotherapeutically but dynamic also means powerful energetic life transforming like you Kristen I think you are a dynamic person and you're dynamic in terms of your energy but also in terms of your calling yes and so I really so that that was another thing is like going inside just makes us more dynamic individuals.
0: So it's funny that you say that because my whole life I've always been like, so my husband, we have this joke where he'll be like, okay, give me your favorite book. Or I'll be like, oh, this is my favorite. And he's like, you cannot have 800 favorites. I'm like, yes, I can. Right. And I feel like that for my whole life, there've been so many different things that I've been interested in. And to me, that's like, that's dynamic right? It's not just like one box where you like, you just do this thing, but it's like expansive. It's expansive.
1: It is. Dynamic means growth and expansion. It means energetic forces. Um, yes, absolutely. I'm so with you. It, it must involve evolution.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Yes. It must. Yes. Yes. Because we're always expanding, like the universe is always expanding, like we just found out that we have all of these other planets out there, right? Well, not just, but, you know, we're finding out that there are more and more planets that we're discovering. So if the universe is always expanding, then we have to always be expanding as well, right?
1: Right. If we're dynamic people, Because, because there is a challenge in staying static.
0: Yes. Um, And I
1: always say, listen, we need that diner, that neighborhood diner. Um, I call that like the securely attached diner where it's the same family. It's the same menu. And we love it because that's where we go get what we all the number 10, whatever the number 10 is. And it gives us the sense that things are safe and okay, and we're securely attached. But if we only have that. We're not growing and expanding and that that's in our marriages. That's, that's in our parental relationships in our work. But let me tell you the third piece about dynamic. That's really, really, really important. So as you know, I'm Latina and I found that with the folks that I work with, whether it's colorful people, it's mostly people with post-traumatic stress disorder or ADHD or anxiety. The idea of just sitting in the lotus position for 20 or 30 minutes actually was triggering, is triggering. Mm. So the technique of dynamic meditation had to be dynamic. And I personally found that even though I had a contemplative practice every morning and still do, I still have a silence practice, basically, in the mornings, I was finding that throughout the day, I still got triggered. I would get a phone call or I would have an interaction and I didn't have that on the go in the moment tool, the, the dynamic tool in the moment. And so dynamic meditation is very specific
0: that way. You're on the tools that you can use on the go go. all the
1: time on the go. And for folks with post-traumatic stress and anxiety or folks that feel like they've got a ton of energy or on the go, um, it's it's amazing. It's it's amazing for me as well. The other thing is I think it it keeps us like being meditators all day long. Right? It's not just going to church on Sundays. It's like you're in church all day. You're, you're, you're practicing all day and you can you can be practicing all day.
0: Yeah, so let me let me actually go back to you talking about colorful people. And I love the way that you describe yourself as colorful. So tell us a little bit about what that means for you. What does it mean to be colorful? Yes, yes, yes. Well, so I wasn't born in this country.
1: I moved to this country. And I moved to this country when I was 16. Um, And it was so confusing for me because I'd lived most of my life in Asia and Latin America. And so when I came here, there was like a ton of focus on how you self-label or how you label or on your forms, how you label. And at least with with my family, we couldn't find the exact spot. Like, am I Latina? Am I Hispanic? My dad's American-Italian. And then I was called white Latina. Like there were all these gradations to who I was. And then lastly, it was person of color, right? Like to to be called a person of color. And and all of that, I I sort of moved into and dynamically adapted to and integrated inside myself. Um, And I had this experience again, because I do think like, We have these intuitive hits or God speaks to us through dreams, through moments, through goosebumps. And I was watching, I had this night where I was, I watched this Bollywood romance and the saris and the dancing and the colors and the gazing. And I just felt ridiculously connected and to the dancing, to the beat to the body exposure to the colors fuchsias oranges yellows yes
0: my like colors right yes. like
1: reds unapologetic colors and i just i just felt something and then i wa- i started watching this period piece that was taking place in the countryside of colombia my own country same thing same skin color from white to beige, to dark brown, to black. Same clothing colors, bright oranges, yellows, blues. Same dancing around the fire, beat, passion, bodies, unapologetic. Same passion for romance, unabashed. I love it, I love I adore it. you. And it occurred to me, we're colorful
0: people. Yes,
1: yes. And it switched everything around for me. We're not just person, person of color. After I, after colorful people came to me, person of color, really, I felt like othered me, like put me in a corner somewhere. Well, colorful people, again, right, Kristen, expanded the whole thing, Mm -hmm because it became an embodiment of expression. It became how we move our bodies, how we dance salsa, how we dance in Bollywood, how we dance, how we express, how we touch, how we greet.
0: Yes. Greetings are a part of it. The greetings are such a part of it, such a part of it, right? Because there's a whole, when we talk about people of color or colorful people, it is, it is not the same. It's not like there is a whole thing to, to the hellos and the goodbyes, all of that.
1: Or the, I don't know you on the street, but I say, hello. I don't know. Like the, the, just the, I want to say formality, but it's like the ritual and respect of greeting and that's global. So when I'm talking about colorful people, what, what, me cayó el cinco, which means in Spanish, the penny dropped. Me cayó el cinco. I just felt like we are a colorful people in so many ways. And that includes this embodiment of expression and embodiment of sensuality. Yep. Um, and it's also super inclusive, which is one of the things you and I talk about. It's, it's inclusive of the sepia rainbow Mm -hmm. of being light-skinned, all the way over here, light-skinned to all the way over
0: here, dark-skinned. The beautiful sepia rainbow that we have. Because it's the feeling and it's, and I think it's like, it gets into the nuance, which is really, I guess how you and I are connected is, is stepping into the nuance of humanity. And stepping into the nuance of all things, because nothing is just what it seems. It's always, there's a nuance, but you can actually, no matter the color of meeting someone, when you vibe with them and they like, are like, it's, it's, you feel the same energy. You feel the same, just, I don't know, like it's the same vibration We all have stories about that. It doesn't matter, you know, if that person is white, which country they're from, you can feel it. You have this sense and that, that definitely connects you.
1: Yes. It's the energetic frequency, isn't it? Like if we talk about it in, in sort of energetics, in fact, it's, it's, it's a way of connecting. Yes. It's a way of connecting. Um, I remember when I first moved here, it was eighth grade and I was that Latina with like tight jeans and heels in, the, in eighth grade because that's what we did. And I remember arriving to an American school and no one was dressing like that except for Black people, except for really wanting to dress And so that was my connecting. That was like, oh, you get it and you want to dance because that was the other thing is sort of this connecting through dancing, through music, through the freedom of dancing, through that expression. Correct. Expression. Expression. And so what you're saying is absolutely right is, is how we, and sometimes being in other countries is connecting to, people who are American. It's like, Oh, exactly.
0: You get get exactly. Yes, absolutely. And we can definitely do that. Like through traveling, there are definitely people that you meet. Um, You know, for me, it's random. Like the person sitting next to me on the plane or in a cafe all over the world where you just, you feel like you've known them your whole life. Like to me, that's That's my definition of colorful. It's like you you feel this connection to them, you know, in so many different ways.
1: Really understanding what I'm saying that way, in terms of the embodiment of expression, that includes our color. It includes sort of the sepia rainbow that we are on the outside. Yes, it includes that, but. I think you're really understanding that it is a form of expressing oneself. Because lit, I feel that with fashion, right? I feel that with our, our, and fashion just being the art that we wear, the art that we wear. Um, and that includes people in the LGBTQIA community. It includes how we want to express ourselves in the world. Yeah, Does that make sense? Does that make sense?
0: It definitely does. It is much more inclusive and expansive of including people from all different skin colors, countries, it's, you know, sexualities, like it's, it's everything. It's much more expansive. Definitely.
1: For sure. For sure. When we think of just royalty, or we think of entertainers, or we think of actors, um, Colorfulness is their boldness, is expressing stature, is expressing courage. Yeah. Right? I have the courage to wear this, I have the courage to dance in front of
0: millions
1: of people.
0: Um, it's it's boldness boldness and vibrancy and yeah absolutely and it really is like okay so in the in my background like in my you know uh the crockett collective branding that that deep fuchsia pink like that's the reason why that is my brand color because that color makes me feel a completely different way. And I don't know, Claudia, maybe I'm the only person who's like this, but I will wake up in the morning and sometimes I'll put on a shirt and I'll be like, "Mm -mm, this isn't the color I want to feel today. Right. And put on something else that makes me like, it matches how I feel, you know, much more vibrant or, you know, or colorful. So I, I definitely feel you embody that. Absolutely.
1: Um, with sort of the earrings that you choose and the colors that you choose, yes. you express. And and there's a sense of, um, there is this sense of alignment for you. Like y- you are being intentional and in particular about how you're expressing yourself because I do include fashion in this. Yes, absolutely. Fashion. fashion um, how, what we wear on our bodies is a form of being colorful and expressive yeah uh, across the globe Across, yeah. across history yeah like, right yeah. this is and it's humanity like what you and i've been talking about a lot like it, it's it's human
0: um, right and it gets at the heart of a feeling of how we feel when we are around colorful people you know Yeah, I love it. I love it.
1: Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad, and I I really appreciate that you understand the 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 soul behind it.
0: Yeah. So I do.
1: I I identify as a colorful person.
0: I love it. Yeah, I love it. So so Claudia, you know, pandemic past few years, there are I'm sure that your uh, your client roster, shall we say boosted itself a lot um, from what people really needed. Um, But I want to kind of get your take on this idea of like the collective consciousness and um, all the things that had to happen in order for the world to move in a different direction, right? Like, how do you think that COVID really has helped to, or do you think that it's helped to push us in a specific way has it pushed us forward what's your take on that
1: yeah what a great 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 profound question and and let's start by acknowledging that COVID ravaged people yeah and homes and added to the trauma that was on the planet yes but my take on it and my take on it is what I found in myself Kristen in myself and in the collective because I do believe that the personal is collective what's happening inside of me is happening out there and what happens out there is happening with me and it's interconnected and we're interconnected through just being human or energetics or the quantum field whatever it is that you want to put on it, but we are looping with others and the planet out there. What I found was that COVID, like any other modality that invites us to go inside, whether it's therapy, whether it's being in 12 steps, whether it's meditation, whether it's psychedelics, anything that invites us to go inside will be disruptive at first yes right yes Yes. and so when you think of that metaphor covid forced us to go inside we literally had to go inside our homes and that meant that we couldn't escape ourselves okay we just couldn't. We couldn't escape what we felt around our families, our lovers. Um, for some of us, it meant that we were alone mm-hmm. 24-7. So this idea, like in any meditative practice or therapeutic practice, is that we had to go inside. Yeah. And that's going to bring
0: up a lot of stuff first. Yep. Because there's so many, there's so many people that were escaping, like work is definitely an escape for a lot of people, like the act of leaving outside, you know, your home to go to work can be an escape. Um, and, you know, so like you said, but then there were people who couldn't go anywhere, where you're either trapped around your entire family, right, or, you know, your spouse or who your day de- or you are isolated from everybody.
1: Yeah. Everyone had to metaphorically and concretely go inside. And so what I found, and in myself, I found this, it reactivated childhood trauma.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So if you felt unprotected as a child, it showed up. Yeah. If you felt abandoned or neglected, if you felt enforced, because a lot of people resisted that there was so much enforcement or obligated, Um, If you felt that there was any type of horrific childhood experience, we were seeing it. We were seeing people dying in hospitals. We saw George Floyd. There was no escaping what was happening inside of us or outside of us. Mm -hmm. Um, But let me, there's a good part, right? Right. Yes. There's a good part. It exploded what I call the era of healing, seeing, and feeling. Yes. Agree. That's why psychotherapy practices were full. And it's no longer taboo. It's no longer a luxury. It's like going to the gym. People are doing internal work. Right, We thank people and especially for colorful people where we're talking about um, trauma or um, some of the abuses or pain as a child has always been kept very closeted or quiet. It is open. People are sharing their pain. People are converging and communing it has been an explosive time of healing and that's continuing. So words like trauma and post-traumatic stress and meditation and psychedelic psychotherapy, all of that is happening now.
0: Yeah. And those are words that were very scary for people before, even, you know, um, you and I have talked a lot about just my work with loss, right? So not just loss of people, but loss of things. Um, And how change is really like, anytime you have a change, there's, there are all these emotions that are involved in that. Um, And I think that people are more comfortable than ever talking about those things, you know, compared to three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I feel that it's a global mandate right now that there's something where people are making it a part of their um, existence to heal, to heal. And you and I are co-authors in a book right now called diversity in humanity and one of the things that i'm talking about Kristen, in the book is this idea that we as 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 humans we've lived in this extinction paradigm meaning and again the individual is the collective the collective is the individual in this self-hate mode Mm. and i find and i decree that self-hate is is basically the root of all holistic diseases.
0: I am 100% in agreement with that. 100%. Yeah, because it's so, that is definitely tied to my work all of the time, you know, Um, with helping people understand how emotions, when we are not dealing with them when they're not leaving our bodies, (laughs) you know, we're not journaling, we're not talking about it, we're not working with a coach or a therapist, we're not talking to our friends, we're not writing, then it stays inside of our bodies, inside of ourselves. It's got to go somewhere.
1: And that somewhere might be to our kids. Yes. And that somewhere might be to lung cancer. Yep. And that somewhere might be to our finances, Mm -hmm. it's gonna show up. And that somewhere might be to classism and racism, meaning it does have to go somewhere. Right. And and it extinguishes ourselves, whether it be through our just our individual existence, but our global existence. And so this is the time to be healing ourselves, to be healing others. To to really be dealing with all of our ancestral trauma, especially colorful people. We have a lot of ancestral trauma, right? Yep. Y poniéndole un parado, which means like in saying stop. Stop. I always say to my son, listen, papi. I say, I know I've got some post-trauma that I've passed on to you. and We're just going to stay in conversation about it. And you're going to notice it and I'm going to notice it because the more we're talking about it, it doesn't mean that I haven't passed it on. It means that we are staying in the conversation about it to transmute
0: it and transform it. Yeah. We're leaving it open just in case, just in case we can talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because there is such a, you know there's such a difference in a lot of my friends and my parents and my friend's parents in terms of what they felt comfortable even talking about just the opening the door for a discussion versus parents now and you know i i do hear some people saying like oh you know kids nowadays they're so soft they're this they're i'm like you all have no idea how powerful this new generation of children actually are because they are really so super in tune with their emotions. Also, because of social media, the connection of being able to see things on Instagram and TikTok and, you know, all of these different and Facebook, like all of these different things and experiences where they have, they instantly can travel to another country versus when we were growing up it was like we had to travel to another country to get that experience of what that person felt or what it was like. So they are much more connected and in a way that, you know, our parents were very disconnected from themselves, you know, so.
1: Beautiful. And you, um, Kristen, who, who you work a lot with um, sort of EQ, right? Yes. Yep. Right? So the the kids today and, and, allowing healing so even if you're not a kid for your listeners even if you're not a kid today thanks to neuroplasticity sort of the ability to still grow and change our our mind and change the way we think the kids today have such high eq and high iq it's it's a convergence of that actually the high functioning empath is through the roof like you like you has high IQ and high EQ. There's an integration of, of being intellectually alive, but also emotionally in tune and attuned. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah. Which is
1: what makes them so powerful, which is what you're describing.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And I like that 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 phrase of alive. I'm gonna merge what you just said and say emotionally alive right? Because um, that's the thing is like, can I, do I know what I'm feeling, you know? And then do I want to know where it comes from? So a lot of my work is always around the root cause of things. Where is it? Where did it stem from? So that we can then work on that instead of our whole entire society of just fixing or just treating the symptom and not like where it came from. Untying it at the root. Yes, untying it and also like freeing it, right? Freeing it, understanding where it came from and you making that that choice to actually, you know, how are you going to deal with it? Are you going to let it sit there, you know, and just say, okay, it's there. Are you going to actually, you know, look at what it also is impacting? And then, from that recognition, what are we gonna do from there? You know? So I think that that's something that was actually really missing. I was gonna say we had a uh, a session yesterday from Stephen Hughes, who really is a financial therapist and talked to us a lot about, um, you know, the root cause of our money issues, which I know that you definitely work with people on that too. The the shame, the guilt, all of that. And how, you know, I think for you and I, Claudia, I can probably speak for both of us and say, like, everything is interconnected to our experiences, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're believers
1: in that. We're believers in that. That energetically, that through osmosis, it is all, it, we are interconnected as humans, but also how one thing, people don't think that our emotions impact our finances, right? So, you know, and I hold this belief that if we're leaking financially, because it certainly happened for me, when I have leaked the most financially is when I have felt the most alone. Mm, mm. Because there's something about the metaphor, the energy of money, yes, that, ma- that gives us the ingredients. And really, I want to talk about the metaphor, the ingredients of feeling securely attached, safe, able to explore, right? Because when we have money, we're able to explore. We're able to take risks because we're safe enough. And, yeah. and let me bring that around when you said that people are like, kids today are soft. I wrote, I wrote down here, soft and safe. Correct. Yeah. Because there, there is something, and, and for anyone who's saying that, it's like, listen, when you find a lover or a best friend or a therapist, where you can start telling them how you feel, how afraid you are, How irritated you are, how um, in love you are, how gleeful you are, because it's those feelings too, how excited, Um, you're safe. Yeah, so there's a safety happening, and there's a, I know it feels like the world is more dangerous, it's not. There's actually ways that the world is safer than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's this explosive healing movement.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's interesting when you talk about safety, some of the things that my kids have talked to me about, I have to admit that inside I am like, oh my God, (laughs) oh my God, those moments you're like. I I am like, I could have never talked to my parents about this. Right. So I say that's, that's the internal emotion, but externally, I'm like, okay, all right, let's, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, because I think that that also does lend itself to the safety that kids now are talking about things that they never talked about that we, we wouldn't even think about talking about with our parents. And I, and I love the emotional safety for the kids nowadays that they can discuss it whether it's with us or with friends or you know like that they they feel comfortable in talking about it and I will listen I will never forget when I was babysitting and I had (laughs) so I, I the kids were two and six and they were so, so I, you know, that's when I started babysitting and I kind of babysat with them for, for years. And one day, uh, they just randomly, the you know, son randomly asked me, what happens if you have to, if you're having sex and you have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> so that's I had to,
1: question. you know, I didn't react.
0: I just explained it to him and we kind of moved on. And then I talked to his mom about it and she said to me, like, I'm super excited that they safe enough to ask you that. So I think that safety, like how we provide safety for people is something that has changed because before it was about like, am I giving you like, am I providing housing for you? Am I going to work every day? Is there food on the table? And I think that emotional safety is something that we are now moving into as you know, like it's something that I talk about all the time with the leaders that I work with, um, with the, the people that I work with, and I think that that's different. So, t- do you agree or disagree, Claudia? Like, oh, you I love f- it, but and I want to just really um
1: honor that what you're describing is mindful parenting, Kristen, what you're doing, because mindful parenting requires pausing yes even and and it's hard yeah even in the moment where you're like okay i'm gonna pause and just because immediately you've got to look at what the moment is right what's happening mindfully in the moment and so i remember an ex so many examples in my life with my son. But I remember once he had exactly like how you had, he had his earphones on and he's like, mom, I love this song, right? He put one in, in my ear and he had the other one. And it had so many curse words. So like, it was like the beat was super violent. And I remember having having this wave of like, why? I didn't say it why are you listening to this right and all of a sudden i expanded into mindfulness and i noticed us both connected and that he felt safe enough to be like this is what i'm into Right. Yeah. And in the moment, I knew. Now, right. This is what he's into. Remember what we were in? Push, push in the bush. I remember. My mom was horrified when I when we when I was dancing to push, push in the bush. But same idea, right? Giving it a lot of space. Mm-hmm. And so I I really want to honor that. That it's obvious that kids or your kids feel that around you. This mindful parenting. This like let me notice the moment, versus actually what's being asked or talked about or said like holding the moment as more sacred than the actual yeah
0: and it's not easy no it's it's not easy sometimes I am literally screaming inside like oh my god I cannot believe that I'm having this conversation (laughs) for sure so this
1: whole idea of safety and whole, but that's where mindfulness or meditation or knowing yourself or having the ability, and this is for your leaders. This is for your listeners. It's this idea of I'm pausing before I'm reacting.
0: Yeah.
1: Yep. To anyone, to my employee, to my kid, to my husband, to the person on the bus Right? Do I have the wherewithal to not have my emotions um, spew? And so when people are like, why, why get in touch with your emotions? It's because you become someone who has emotional wherewithal. And therefore the ability to connect with others exactly i mean we keep coming back to the same thing right kristen the ability to say i get what you're feeling
0: right yeah yeah and it's like so for you this is a tool of dynamic meditation pausing and for me i call it emotional intelligence like understanding how your emotions are impacting you or others but it essentially is the same it looks the same and it, and it impacts people the same where it is this ability to pause, to say, okay, what just happened? How am I feeling? Labeling the emotion and then thinking before you actually act or even thinking about the why. Why do I feel this way? Absolutely.
1: Well, I would say that any pausing, any mindfulness, any self exploration and self healing um, increases and improves emotional intelligence.
0: Yes. Yep.
1: Absolutely. Here, the yep. more internal work you do, which brings us back to the beginning of our our of our podcast or what your podcast is, it makes us more emotionally aware all around. And as we know, when we, you and I talk about leadership, um, that's what. Corporations, that's what organizations, after COVID, high emotional intelligence is top of what people are requiring. Um, Not just high IQ, the ability to feel a room, the ability to feel your team, um,
0: the ability to feel the dynamics that are happening, yeah, without people even saying anything. It's like, that's the thing. It's like, if you're a leader, you need to be able to see, hmm, something's different from the way that they are on the screen to the way that I walk into the room. Like, something's different. Let me kind of look and see what that is about, right? Whereas before, you know, a lot of organizations, it was fine to have leaders that were detached, Right. As long as you get the work done. I just need you to get, are you getting the work done? Okay, you're getting the work done. Okay, that's fine, it's fine, you know? But now it's not fine. It's never been fine for me. Let me just say that. (laughs) But definitely with the way that our world has shifted in the past few years, we cannot have, we can't afford to have people or humans or leaders that are not connected to themselves or others.
1: Absolutely.
0: And that's where people like you are ahead.
1: And that's why I call it an era of healing, seeing and feeling, because I think part of part of the zeitgeist is that people are men are identifying with their emotions. Colorful people are identifying their emotions. We're teaching our children because our emotions are a messaging system. They're there for a reason. They're there to tell us something's right. Something's wrong. This is my passion. how do i interact with people right sort of mirror neurons how do i how do i connect with people yeah this is the age of healing seeing and feeling
0: yeah and i want to say one thing too like when you said for men i want to throw women in there too because i feel like for the longest women have taken on responsibility and have just Done what they needed to do without actually thinking about how it felt, right? So, this disconnection between the emotion and the responsibility. And definitely that happens for men as well, 100%. But I think that we don't talk about it in women enough. And it's so interesting. I just had a client just tell me, she said, You know, one of the things with working with you is that my bladder is better. And I'll explain that it's like a lot of people who are high achievers or high performers who have a lot of responsibility on their plate will go to the bathroom when they can't even take it anymore. There's a connection physically, you know, with that. Yeah. And so what she said is I now realized that I do come first and the whole issues with bladder with my bladder have changed. So That is that is definitely something where
1: powerful.
0: Yeah, yeah, where where women also really have to start, we have to start looking at how it feels to have all of this responsibility um, so that we can begin to shift things for our children or for the people, like if we choose to not have children, for the people around us, our relationships, our interpersonal relationships.
1: Yeah. And talk about nuance, Kristen, I really appreciate what you're saying, because usually, right, the stereotype is that women are the feelers, men are not the feelers. And in some ways, of course, right, human culture has done that with men, and that's changing. But this, this is way more nuanced for women who are feelers, which is, there are, But the feelings are left aside or pushed aside in order
0: to take care of other people's feelings. Right. Because it's like, if no, who's going to do it? If I don't do it, who's going to do it? Right. So it's like, you take care of other people's feelings. You absorb all of that. You do the work. And then it's like, where do your feelings come out? And you don't even go to the bathroom. You don't even go to the bathroom or you wait until you just can't even take it in anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, oh, I love that. Because it's that. not taking care of the self, right? It's not putting yourself first. It is like literally a physical manifestation of putting yourself last on everything.
1: Yeah, I talk a lot about um, putting yourself in the equation. Um, and I always say I'm really terrible at math, but there are some math concepts that give a great image I knew we were connected. (laughs) Terrible, I'm terrible. But I teach math all the time when I'm trying to teach metaphor, which is like one plus zero is one. Like if you're the zero in the equation, it'll always be the other person. One plus one is two, and put yourself in the equation, right? Which is hard. That's a practice. Yes.
0: Yes. Put yourself
1: in the equation. I count. I matter. My feelings matter. My urge matters. Mm -hmm. My passion matters. What lights me up matters.
0: So this is the end of part one with Claudia Catarucci. We are actually finishing it in part two. We're continuing to talk and have this fascinating conversation that leads into putting yourself first. But how did we begin? this existence of putting people first before us. So we're talking about all of that and more, so make sure that you check out part two. I want to take my time out to thank all of you, especially the people who took their time to leave a review for the Plastic Couch Podcast. I am so appreciative of you listening, of you sharing, of you leaving reviews. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we will see you in part two of this episode on the Plastic Couch Podcast.